0: Welcome to MotivationAddict.com with Julie Salon. This is where you will find inspiring stories on how to motivate yourself and gain momentum towards success, turning fear into confidence, and how to find divine flow,
1: allowing you to crush your goals. Thank you for being here. And now let's tune
0: in to today's show. Hey everyone, Julie Salon from Motivation Addict. I am thrilled that you are here today. I have a very special guest for you. and I know I say that quite a bit, but this one is really, really crazy special, out of the park special. Her name is Nikili Jones, and she is an Australian triathlete. She's winner of two ITU Triathlon World Championships and an Olympic silver medal in Sydney 2000. And she has quite the career um, she's been uh, three times did she compete in the ITU world championship races um, her debut race was in 1990 and she has won she's been a most consistent athlete ever she's won a tally that's recorded to be over 175 wins across Olympic off-road and long-distance events and she became the first Australian woman to win a world Ironman championship and it made her only the second Australian in history to win the event behind 1994 men's world champion, Greg Welch. On top of that, this is the unbelievable part. She's an equestrian, avid equestrian. Of course, she sets her goals super, super high. She's training in dressage for the Pre-St. George's, which is the highest level in dressage. And she's very driven and she has her own, uh, she's got clients now. She still competes, but she's got her own clients. And what was really cool about this talk was that she actually helped Another woman who was legally blind and can't hear through one of the Ironmans. So it's really, really special. Um, I, I think you're going to love this one. So go and enjoy it. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and rate it. And again, I give you Makili Jones. Hope you love it. Have a great one. Hey everyone, it's Julie Salon from Motivation Addict. I am thrilled today, thrilled. I have Makili Jones on the phone with me today. She she's got such a long resume. I'm going to let her tell you what she's done because although the formal introduction which I just did, she's done everything under the sun from Iron Man's to triathletes and welcome to the show, Mackilly. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Ah, uh, thank you so much. It's yeah, uh, it's going to be an awesome conversation. I can't wait
0: to tell. I can't wait for you to talk. You know about your background because I know you've done so many cool things. Can you maybe start the listeners off with a little bit of background <laughs> on what you've done, maybe in a, a snapshot? Because <laughs> it's so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know that's funny. Um, let's see. I grew up in a small town in Australia, uh, and my high school run coach suggested I to do triathlon, and. I sort of was more of a horse rider than anything else growing up and then for some reason my high school run coach saw something in me and suggested I do a triathlon, which I have no idea what that was, but I definitely could swim. I wasn't a great swimmer, but uh living on a farm and having water around my mother was like really, really conscious on making sure that everyone in the family could swim. So that was always nice to know that I was, you know, a competent swimmer. And as far as that, it was just trying to work on the level. And then, yeah, I started doing triathlon and I sort of paid my way through college by doing triathlons, just local triathlons, making money. My, my college friends were all jealous because, you know, they'd have to work in bars and, and, <laughs> and do all this other stuff. And I'd just go and race for a weekend and make a couple of hundred dollars and I'd be like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then... um I decided I want to race against the best people in the world. And so I came to the US and it sort of blossomed from there. Um in my first actually my second world championship I ended up getting um third and then my third world championship I won and then the next one I won. It's amazing. And then um Triathlon got into the Olympics and the most awesome thing about that Uh, in 2000 the Olympics was in Sydney basically my hometown so so many of my friends and family got to see me win a silver medal the first medal for the Australian team because we were the first medal event on the program and being the first time triathlon was ever in the Olympics pretty cool experience and and then when I didn't make the uh, Athens Olympic team four years later uh, I got talked into doing the Ironman and My first Ironman, I won, even though I puked at the finish. Oh, wow. I then signed up to the Ironman World Championship in Kona, and I was second. And then the year after that, I won. Um, But I think one of the most fun things that I've done in my career was guiding. So I guided uh, a sight-impaired triathlete. Yes, they've got to swim, bike, and run. And as a guide, you swim with them, bike with them, and run with them, and uh, we ended up winning a Paralympic gold in Rio. Wow. So <laughs> Wow. You know, yeah, every time I look back and, you know, that's just me as an individual basically. And then I look at some of the stuff that I've done in terms of coaching, I mean, I've been very, very blessed what my sport has given me. I,
0: that that is an amazing, amazing background. And for somebody who has always And
2: that's how you like us you said to give a short remote <laughs> Snapshot, everybody. He's done it all, and
0: and the cool part is that it seems like you can just hearing you go through that, you can hear the you know and see the progression that you've made. But the really funny part to me is that you're so humble because it's like, yep, and I won here, yeah, and I won here. It's uh, quite a thing to win because obviously there's the, these are the best athletes in the world at the top, the tippy top of the whole world. So it's really
2: oh cool. yeah, I mean it, it wasn't it well it it wasn't always easy, but. I must admit, you know, when I look at, you know, other sports and what I've done and, you know, even the people around with me, I'm like, whoa, you know, because when people and that's when you as an athlete, you sort of really think about it when somebody else brings it up, you're like, yeah, I did do that. And nobody did that. And then, yeah, I did that. And, you know, particularly when you're sort of creating history, because triathlon was so young, it's like there's so many first things that I got to achieve because, you know, we were making history and, you know, triathlon is still making history, but, you know, because I was one of the the first um, bunch of us who started doing triathlon and then doing it professionally and then, you know, going through the process and getting to the Olympics and then, you know, our sport then got into the Paralympics and being able to be part of the first Olympic program and then the first Paralympic program for triathlon, I mean, who can say they've ever done that sort of stuff? Yeah. So I just feel I've been given these opportunities and I mean, it's not like I've asked for it. It's like these opportunities just come up. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's where it's like, you know, I've always, and I still race today. I mean, it's not like that I've given up triathlon, you know, a lot of professional athletes, you know, do give up because it is hard because how do you find the motivation every year?
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. There? And
2: a lot of the, yeah and a lot of the times you know I'm doing the same races like over and over again and I think my twin sister Gabby sort of put it in a good perspective was like but McKeeley you're unmotivated if somebody's motivated
1: mm.
2: so I thought that was a good perspective but I mean it's challenging because you know you know how many times can you race the same race over and over again right and, you know that's the challenge that I face and it's like you know it's not like people are getting slower. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's competitive. It's just because what I've done doesn't make every time I t- sign up for a race doesn't mean that I'm going to win. It's like there's so many people out there who are just as competitive, or you know have the same passion, and you know maybe they're training a little bit more than you. So it's for me, it's like it's like a lifestyle.
1: Mm-hmm. I've
2: sort of like I've sort of like feel that it's a part of who I am. And I've been lucky enough that I sort of kept changing the goals that I had to achieve. So when I went from professional to basically an age group athlete, you know, I wasn't afraid for one. I think a lot of people are afraid of trying to maintain the athlete that you were as a, on a pro level to when you, you know basically you know, committed like everyone else. There's not a paycheck at the end of the finish line it's just you're getting out there because and it and it's I think it's always been like that for me that it wasn't that you know I could make a living from this sport it was that I enjoyed doing the sport and I think that's a reflection of why I've had such longevity
0: yeah because you're so passionate about it obviously and it comes through your voice and I'm sure it's obviously a lifestyle because it's something you have to be completely committed to on a daily basis
2: yeah, and, yeah no exactly and that's not to say that I don't wake up every day and go, Oh my goodness, it would be so nice to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, some days I do. And, you know, it's like, and then there's some days where it's like, you know what? How many times do I have to go and, like, you know, put 100% effort in? So you do, you to learn to manage your efforts. And I think that's important as well. It's like, you know, I try to teach my athletes that I coach, it's like, you know, some sessions need to be easy and some sessions need to, to be harder and definitely where you are in the season should determine how much that hard effort is. Because one of the things that I always tell my athletes, you know, you don't want to keep putting your hand in the fire too many times. You want to save that for racing. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's a difference, you know, between a, like a professional athlete and an age group athlete all the times, so It's like professional athletes know when to go easy. Mm-hmm. And I find that amateur age group athletes tend to like have one pace they don't have a dramatic difference between their slow pace to their fast pace.
0: How do you manage their expectations? Because I'm going to give you two scenarios and I, and, and you know, you're you're such a coach. <laughs> so let's, let's just pretend that, um, I, I'll give you one scenario, the, the hard one, which is probably not hard for you because you've probably experienced it. Let's just pretend that I came to you and I I'm a novice. I'm completely green. Obviously, an amateur, and I said, you know, i like to to try an Ironman. I've never done this before, um, but you know, I, I really, I really want to be in, you know, the top three in the over fifty group. Even though I've never done uh-huh. it before, I'm sure you can help coach me. Um, but you know, I only have about, I don't know, I only can work out maybe three times a week. So can we make that work? What would you say to somebody like that? I guess I'm asking you the long way around, Kaylee. How do you manage their expectations and make them realistic?
2: Oh no, and that's that's a big thing. It's like, and I'm a realist, and you know the way I coach, it's like I'm going to be and honest. It's like, you know, you're paying to get to wherever you need to get to, but it's like you've also got to let them know there's a commitment that's required, and there's an ability level that's required. So you have to be realistic in the goal setting. So for me, I try to like you know take it down a notch. Well, let's hey, let's first See if you can swim this pace for blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, let's see if you can get your power numbers, you know, around here. Let's see if you can get your run pace. So I try to break it down because then they can start to see the bigger picture. Because, you know, I get a lot of athletes that come to me and say the same thing. And I'm like, look, let's see where you're at. Then we can start making realistic goals. And that's the key word, right? Realistic goals. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I don't want you to fail at something that, you know, maybe it's not for you. So let's figure out, you know, what that true potential goal is. And, you know, it it is a hard conversation to have sometimes because you know, if they haven't experienced, you know, or they haven't experienced Ironman racing, they may not realize how competitive it actually is.
0: Yes. And so, I mean, this is a lifestyle for the, the folks that are in the race. So, so this is, just for the listeners, and I know everyone's heard of these, you know, the triathlons and the Ironman, we've all heard of them. We've seen some of them on TV. I always like to watch and it's just grueling to watch, let alone get through it. But from, from your perspective, so this is a lifestyle. If you have someone who comes to you and they don't have the realistic expectation of making this a lifestyle, you just need to have that conversation of just, well, you know, if you want to be here, as you said, this is what you need to put into it. And of course, then we have to manage your ability. That's, I guess the second part of it. How do you, how do you manage their abilities if their abilities are really not there? Do you, how do you do
2: that? Well, that's where, I mean, that's where that realistic goal setting comes in. And, you know, there, there are nice ways that you can, you know, let them know, like comparing, I mean, in this day and age, you can compare so much data. Mm-hmm. so it's like you know it's like it's it's pretty much like hey if you're doing this and this is what you need to do and it's like you're so far apart okay well let's manage that and rethink what your goals are to be realistic because still you know finishing an Ironman is still an awesome accomplishment and I don't care if you're a professional athlete or an amateur athlete you know it's like where you finish on the podium is secondary if you don't get across the finish line
0: yes you know yes. because that,
2: that should be always your number one goal and then, you know everything after that is like a bonus because i don't know if you realize this but the highest dnf rate is actually in the professionals right because they're like pushing themselves so hard to go as fast as they can you know the percentages go up because they're on the extreme and then you know when you're an age group athlete you've got to you know, manage your time with your family, your friends, your work, you know, all those sort of things. So, you know, if you've only got a couple of hours to spend, realistically, you know, unless you have a lot of talent and have a background in your parents, it's like you have to explain to them, look, this is the reality of it. But, you know, if they're willing to work hard and put the effort there, definitely they can improve and actually reach the realistic goals that you've set out for them. But, you know, it does, Ironman takes a huge commitment. And triathlon isn't just about Ironman. And that's sort of what I like about it. It's like there's options. There's like sprint distance races. There's like Olympic distance races. There's half Ironman races. There's Ironman races. And then there's even races that are a little bit shorter than that. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the way you manage your expectations is like you've got to start somewhere. And then they will get to see, you know, the data will drive reality in a lot of ways.
0: Yes. Yes. How do you manage for yourself your your load, your schedule, meaning that you have, you know, you've got so much on your plate between your clients and your training and family life. And how, how do you manage <laughs> all that in the span of a small 24 hours a day? And you have to sleep as well. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, the nice thing is, like, really, when I look at my bucket list in terms of triathlon, there's, there's really not much that I could, like, add to it. Right. So it's sort of bonus. And I, and I even sort of felt that when I went into the Olympics in 2000. You know, I was already in, like, two-time world champion, So I'm like, you know what? This is all bonus stuff. Yes. And then, you know, you win an Olympic medal and you're like, oh my God, I that's a big bonus. And then, you know, you move on and you're like, you're an, Olymp- an Ironman and you're like, oh my God, it's a bonus. So for me, the way I managed it because, yeah, I, I sort of do have a full plate and I do I do like to be competitive. So I sort of keep it a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep the distances, I race a little bit shorter because, you know, I do coach full time, um, my personal athlete clients. Then I also have um the the UCSD triathlon team that I coach as well. Um so that's mainly like a a fall winter sort of obligation. And, you know, I run sessions as well. I do a kids program during the during the summer. Uh I do a couple of like an eight week program to try to get some kids more engaged in the sport. Um uh, and then I go ride my horse every day. So it's definitely, <laughs> you know, time management is important. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that I can sort of, you know, pick my own hours basically. Sometimes they're driven by, you know, other people's schedule. But, you know, I'm lucky enough. And then, you know, with the type of training that I'm doing, I'm training for basically a one-hour to two-hour race. So I can manage that by doing, like, one or two workouts a day and then on the weekends doing some longer stuff. And it's exactly how you would run a regular program for everyone else, you know. But, yes. you know the, the The length of how much training they're doing is determined by the length of the race. And, you know, I always find people who are super, super motivated and really, really dedicated, they'll find the time to fit it in. But I think the biggest challenge you have when you have, you know, a family and work commitments, it's like you've got to – work with the time that you have but sort of make it like a family thing. I think a lot of athletes, you know, make the mistake of not trying to include the family in it. I like having your twelve or thirteen year old daughter or son coming out on the bike and supplying you hydration as you run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or it might be, hey, turn up at the pool a little bit after you your self session and, and make him swim in the pool. So it's like It's managing everyone else is sometimes harder than managing yourself because it is very time-consuming if you're doing an Ironman. Realistically, you know, minimum hours for an Ironman is about 10 hours, but that's going to go up at some point to about 15. Wow. So, you know, that's a lot of hours in the week. But then, you know, if you're doing short-course triathlon, you know, you can get by on like three to five hours.
1: Wow.
2: No big deal. So it's you know, just it's, working it's, out you know the time that you have and matching up that to your goals to matching up to the the, the distance that you're trying to, to trying to uh, do. It's so
0: interesting because we you know work with a lot of equestrians and just in the te- in the time span that we have you know when you think about work and family and downtime for yourself because that's important as well for you to recharge whatever that looks like for you take a walk in nature or read a book whatever it is be creative
2: it's for me it's going out to the barn
0: okay so i was going to say and then to the barn now i spend that 15 hours plus that's where i am i'm at the barn having my fun and that's my zen place so that's that's an added layer that you have. And I'd love to know what, this is the burning question in my mind. How do you take your mindset of winning and bring that to the horse world for yourself?
2: Well, you know, coming from a very individual sport like triathlon and then coming to a team sport where you've got to manage the horse and your expectations and, you know, they sense everything. Yes. Um, and I, and I had a great conversation with Conrad uh, Schumacher a, a while ago about this, how he went into the Olympic program um, as a national coach, but then they also hired a sports psychologist and it's like the sports psychologist didn't really get the horse thing and, you know, he felt that he sort of made the mistake of like letting the sports psych like, take over what he really believed what the, the horse how the whole horse's mind works, and how sensitive they are to how how you feel, and in the end, he says, "Look, we're just going back to what we normally do. It's like this is the warm up we've always done. This is the warm up we're going to stick to, and and that's what I basically do before every major race, and even every major horse competition
1: that I do. Mm-hmm.
2: It's like the warm up should be the same as what you do every other time, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And the reason why you do that is because it's routine." And you know where you need to be and you don't have to think about anything else, right? You know how long it's going to take. Yeah, it's a little more flexible sometimes with a horse because if they're a little more nervous or a little more warm, you know, you have to work out. But, you know, you allow enough time and, you know, it's tricky because then you don't want too little time but you don't want too much time where, you know, when you're warming yourself up, you're way more in tune with that. So you become more in tune with, you know, the animal that you're working with because they're going to they're going to throw all sorts of different things at you. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the first thing, no matter what, what you do, because, you know, I tell people this all the time and it's not like I'm a, I'm a professional horse rider or anything, but it's like, Hey, you're dealing with a high performance machine. So treat them like a high performance machine. They should be warmed up correctly. You shouldn't cut any corners. You know, I sort of like, and and I have and that's what I like about um the guy who teaches my instructor Matt Cunningham, who teaches me um when he's given me a lesson dressage. He sort of knows my background and he knows that I'm like big on that high performance component mm-hmm. of whether it's triathlon or horse riding, and he is really good at fitting that in and making it work. And he challenges me enough that it's like. You know, I can I can follow the program, okay? There's a progression, okay? This is the warm up, and then we progress and we work on a skill, and then we do our warm down.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And
2: you know, a lot of people don't have that high performance mentality. Well, that's the thing. It's not hard to sort of figure out. It's just you know looking at it. You know, there should be a warm up, warm down, and there should be a skill that you're working on.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't have that mentality. A lot of people don't go in with a focus. And it's really nice to have, um, you know, what would be your tip, I guess, for the listeners, for the equestrians especially, that they could focus. They'd like peak performance, but they're really not sure how they can cultivate that. What would be your, your tip for them?
2: Yeah, and, it's you know, it's having a discussion with your trainer or, you know, if you get a lesson once a week, once a month, okay, it's like just taking away, you know, what's the best warm-up for this horse? What's the best way to ask these questions? What's the best warm-down? Okay, mm-hmm. what should we focus on until the next time we see you? And, you know, all good instructors will do that. They'll give you things to work on so that you can you can perfect yes. until you see them again. Yes,
0: yes. <laughs>
2: so and that's, I think that's, that's, that's the fun part, right?
0: get to work on it that's the fun part
2: yeah and I think you know people just go into a lesson and they have no plan yes or they go and ride their horse and they're like well you know I'm just going to go out and you know so it it is that extra little bit of work that sometimes takes away people find it takes away from you know the pleasure of riding but in the long run it's not you know you're just training yourself to set yourself up for success and and that's what you've got to keep reminding people. You know, you're training yourself to set yourself up for success. Yes. And you know, then you're limiting the risk of injury to the horse. Um, you know, you know where you need to be and when you need to be somewhere. You know, based on you know the progression, and also you know if you do decide to compete, it's like you know you don't get as nervous because you don't want the horse to sense that you're nervous because then that they're, they're going to get nervous. So <laughs> you know, you're. Yeah. So it's yes. like what you do and what you feel is like amplified so much when you ride. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So I think the the biggest gain to it is, you know, know where you're going, you know, know what that warm up needs to be, know what that war- warm down needs to be and know where the progression is. And, you know, it's like, don't be afraid to like set a goal. You know, you, you might not have to share it with the world, but you know, setting goals is part of the process.
0: Yeah, it is, and horses love a job, right? Every every animal that I've ever worked with, they love a job and they want to do their part. So learning, let's face
2: it, fun. The the reward for them is like what a piece of candy. How awesome is that? Yes. You know, you rode near with a piece of candy after a race or something. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their motivation is so simplistic compared to our complex motivation yes. as humans. So. Yeah. They are, you know, they are and that's why they're so great to work with. And you know, my I've had a couple of great instructors over the years and they're like your horse is always going to tell you what discipline they want to do and you should listen to them. Mm.
0: Wow. That's that's amazing and that's so true yeah. I believe. They're the master teachers, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't force a horse to do something that they really don't want to do because in the end they're not going to they won't do it. So it's important to, you know, you might buy a horse that you want it to be a hunter jumper, but it wants to be a dressage horse. You might have a dressage horse that doesn't want to be a dressage horse. So it's part of the learning process and it's tough sometimes because, you know, no, this is what we really want to do. This is, and and I think another key thing, you know, in my racing and in my training and my coaching is being patient. Yes. You know, a lot of the times, you know, you see a talented athlete or you see a talented horse and it's like. Hey, let's just take our time and not get greedy because, you know, you don't want them to burn out. You don't want them to get injured. You you always should think of longevity.
0: Yes, because I think that a lot of people, and that goes back to the expectations, right? And managing your expectations in terms of what you want to do and being realistic about it. Because I, I see so many times there are people that have pushed the horses too far, too fast and if they just sat back a little bit and gave them a little bit more breathing time, it, it'd be okay. But you know, when you push them, they get frustrated and they get anxiety sometimes and then the nerves come out and then all kinds of issues can happen, including injuries, which nobody wants to have happen to their horse. So it is no, really it, important. To, exactly.
2: And that's, and that's why it's important to be realistic. Yes. And, and, and have somebody who can guide you. And I mean, I've, I the horse that I have now, uh, she's going to be seven at the end of June, and I've had I had her as like she just turned, she was just about to turn five, so and she's quite tall, so you know her muscular development is very very different from a sixteen hand horse when she's like seventeen three,
1: mm-hmm. so yes.
2: we've been we've been really really cautious on you know not pushing her too much, but just giving her enough that you know you're getting the muscle muscular development but you know in dressage it's like it's just maintaining the basics right if you get the basics right and you keep reinforcing the basics yes you know you're always going to have your challenges but you know if the basics are there it does it does make it easier and you know it's like finding someone that's willing to to stay on the path that you're willing to and being realistic i think that's important too because Let's face it. We all get excited when we're like, "Oh my god, my horse just did a PR!" Oh, oh my goodness! Yes, counter know, counter, and yes. you know, it's like you know, well, there's all these cool things that you get to do, but it's like take a deep breath and just know that you know, hey, is this is is this where we need to go to get to where we need to go?
0: Yes, yes, and having that in your mind. I, I would love to talk to you about Katie Kelly and if you could tell the listeners a little bit about how that even developed. Uh, because I, I'm so fascinated and I, I just tip my hat to you. I can't even say enough great things about you. And I'm not saying that to butter you up. I'm saying that because oh, I truly,
1: no, no, that that's you. a
0: really big um what's the word? That's a very big um effort on your part and commitment. Uh and it's lovely and it's it's not oh, yeah.
2: seen too often. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, I look at it, it wasn't like I was giving. I felt like I was taking (laughs) because it was so rewarding and so motivating to help someone else. And so the way it happened was uh, the Australian uh, paratriathlon coach had been contacted, Katie Kelly had contacted the Federation in Australia about wanting to do triathlon. Um, She was no longer able to race as a regular athlete. She now needed a guide. And the uh, Olympics were three years away. So it sort of gave, she really wanted to do Ironman. That's one of the reasons why she contacted them. And they sort of talked her into doing the paratriathlon instead and trying to, uh, and you know, nobody really knew what sort of talent she had. You know, they knew she was a very good runner and had some swim. Um, skills, no doubt about it, and I I was sort of like second choice. I wasn't even the first choice for the guide because I lived in the US and she lived in Australia,
1: mm-hmm.
2: as well as being so much taller than her. So they weren't sure I was going to be able to sit on the tandem. You know, you ride a tandem bicycle, so they were worried that you know they couldn't get a bike that would fit both of us as well. So fortunately for me, um, the first pick, she was pregnant. So then they asked me and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I would love to do it. And then my second thought was like, oh, my goodness, I hope she's not a pain in the butt. <laughs> 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 because, you know, it's just it's that that realism, right? Because if yes. you're going to be working with someone, you want to be working with someone in your life. Yes. And, that uh, you know, that you you want to, like, you know, if I'm out there racing, I'm going to go as hard as I physically can based on, on how hard they can go. Yes. So it's not like you're going to be out there, you know, cruising around you know definitely you're putting a huge amount of effort and so i was like yeah and then they threw us together we'd never a tandem together a couple of days before a race in japan and in japan you're not allowed to ride a tandem bike you can i'm to have two people on a bicycle in japan you can only have one person on a bike so we didn't even get to race the race course or Or really practice that much. And I think it was the first time I ever thought I was going to crash. And I'm like, oh my goodness, (gasps) if I crash, it's not just about me, it's about her. So, so much more pressure when you're racing for somebody else. Everything that you do has an impact on them. Right. Right. So, that was, to me, that was the most nerve-wracking thing. And, uh... Yeah it just worked you know it was one of those partnerships that you know the coach was really really good in uh, in like asking me not just as an athlete but as a coach on on the training perspective because you know he would have an idea and he'd throw it towards me and I'm like yeah you know what she really needs to you know do this this and that and it's not so nice when you work with somebody who not only respects you as an athlete but respects you um, as a coach as well so I, I think that's one of the reasons why it worked and I mean, it's tough when you're, when you're the athlete, like for Katie, you know, when you have someone that, you know, has done everything and is high profile. And then, you know, there's a lot of pressure that I felt that she felt that came along with having me as a guide Mm
1: -hmm. because,
2: you know, everyone else is like, oh my goodness, how lucky are you? And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. Makili makes me go as hard as I can. She'll even tell you this story, how I made a puke after a race. Oh oh my goodness. But you know. Yeah, but you know, for me, you know, my role is to get the most out of the athlete, right? You know, you're not only there, you know, and she was also not only sight impaired, she's hearing impaired. So that's also a challenge because that means her equilibrium is off more than the other athletes as well. So, you know, just little things that you had to work out. But I think we had like really good communication skills outside that. We really, even though we didn't spend a lot of time, basically I would come in. Uh, before a race, uh, the World Champs Olympics, it would be a couple of weeks before just to really fine tune it. And then, you know, it just seemed to work. And that's how a lot of athletes, um, the combos work, that you don't always get to see the guide that you're going to race for every day, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing because, you know, we're all humans and sometimes we're going to hate each other. and Sometimes we're going to love each other. I mean, in the end, you know, we're here to to help the athlete, you know, reach their potential. And, you know, if they're willing to push as hard as they can, then, you know, you're willing to push even harder. So yes. it yes. is sort of, it's a tough relationship because, you know, I know when, like on the bike, I know when she's not putting a hundred percent in. So I'm sort of like her truth meter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, come on, I know you have a little bit more. I know you're backing off right now. you got to keep going. So it was a unique experience, actually loved every minute. I mean, definitely there was some ups and downs because, you know, we're humans. Right. I'd be lying to, if I said, you know, there was no ups and downs. You know, she'd get frustrated at me sometimes because you're like, come on. I'm like, it's okay. You know, it's like I've I've been through all this. So if you're feeling nervous or you feel that, you know, I need to do something better, you know, that's where that teamwork happens. Right. You know? You figure it out, you kill each other and, you know, you move on.
0: So for all the listeners out there, and I'm going to ask a really dumb question because I'm not deep in your world. So you ride the tandem bike together. So what about the running and the swimming? Are you doing it for her or you're doing, or you're guiding her?
2: Oh no. So in the swim, um, you're tethered together. And and a tether for us was um, having a band around our legs. Okay. But, you know, so, and then there's rules that they can't be a certain circumference away from you, or you can't be a certain circumference away from them. I mean, you're never allowed to touch them unless it's a dangerous situation. Okay. So it was a challenge for us, right? Because verbal communication is limited because she doesn't use hearing aids when she raced. So it's like,
1: wow,
2: (laughs) we had to sort of figure something out. She could sort of like know if, it was louder, there was something serious wrong, in, or we needed to go harder. Or, so it was, you know, it's that communication piece that you sort of figure out. But yeah, so you tethered on the swim, you ride the tandem, and, and really on the tandem, you can't, you can't go really. I mean, definitely, you know, my numbers are much better than hers in terms of power and, and that, but you really can't go any harder than they're capable of going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the misconception that a lot of people have. It's like, yeah, you want to have an athlete that's way better than you because if something goes wrong, as a guide, you've still got to keep going. Yes. If you get a cramp or, you know, you're not feeling good on the day, you've still got to perform. Yes. So it's, and that's why you need somebody who's way better than you because then if something happens, well, then, you know, your pace can drop a little bit but their pace maintains the same. And then on the run, you're tethered as well. And for us, that was um, just connecting our, like we wear a race belt around our waist.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you just clip onto the race belt. And the rule is you're never allowed to be in front of them. Okay. Um And then there are like leading zones where you can actually, like if you're going around a tight corner, then you're physically allowed to guide them. So. Yeah, so, it's not, you know, as straightforward as people might think. There definitely are some technicalities when, when when you're racing together. And and there was one time at the World Championships we actually got protested again. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what did I do? I can't. What if I get this poor girl disqualified? <laughs> so for me, I was an emotional wreck the two hours where they were discussing if we were going to be disqualified or we were going to maintain our first place.
0: Why was that? Cause we so, were too far apart from each other or?
2: Um, apparently on the swim, it was a choppy swim and I was coming up as she was coming down and I'm like, it's a chop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they felt, yes, they they had video and they felt like I was propelling her forward. And I'm like, ah, uh, no, that's because of the chop. But you know, it's still, you don't know why you're getting protested against until they decide. But, wow. yeah, but I was like, I was emotional wreck. I was like crying and I'm like, oh my goodness, what if I got this poor girl disqualified? What did I do? You know, I had no idea. I'm like going through the race going, okay, was there any point that I did something that I should do? Wow. So yeah, it was just one of those things. And you know, even um, at the last year's world championship, they had some, one of the athletes was swimming off course and he grabbed the tether and pulled him back. And technically, you're not allowed to do that because swimming off course, unless it's, you know, going to hit something or blah, but you're not allowed to do that. So thank goodness they realized, you know, well, what else was you going to do? But basically, you have to stop and let them, like, realize that, you know, they've got to swim back over. So Wow. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're just going to guide someone? No, it's a little bit harder and more complicated than that. Because, you know, you've you got to make sure you you know the course, you're going to swim as straight as you can, but, you know, it's not like you can tell them there's a buoy coming up and you're going to turn. Right. 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 Like, you know, and that's where the sort of tether comes into play a little bit. So the tether can only be a certain length as well. So yeah. And then like when we were um, warming up for the Rio Olympics, there was some waves right at the shore break
1: mm-hmm.
2: and our tether kept separate breaking because of the force oh. of the waves. Oh,
1: wow. And
2: you're always got to be tethered. And we're like, well, what's the rule with our tether break? Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're going to be disqualified. We're like, yeah, but it's like you guys, you know, it's a learning experience, right? Because it's so new. It's like, yeah, but our tether break broke, you know? It's like we didn't know what to do. So oh, wow. <laughs> it was one of those things where, you know, it was lucky that it happened, like when we were warming up, rather than happening in a race because, you know, we, we, at least we knew that, you know, we just had to stay together. And and if we could show that the tether was well made and it just broke because of the four base, we were fine. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge honor, I would think to do something like that, but it's so much more on you because now you're not only running, (laughs) doing the race for yourself, but now you've got somebody else that you're kind of, you know, looking out for. But yet you can only go as fast as they can go, so there's a there's a lot to it. I didn't realize that there were all these rules and regulations, but um that, did you you must have felt an amazing sense of accomplishment that you did something like that with her? It's amazing.
2: oh my goodness, I think I was more excited than her <laughs> <laughs> yeah when we were running when we were running like around the finishing shoot in in Rio, I was like, you know, because I've done the Olympics before. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness, now we're going to win a gold medal. It's like I think I was way more excited because I think because I'd been there and I know, like, how emotional that experience is. Yeah. I mean, the Olympics is like, not, it's like no other emotional experience you'll ever see. Like, even in Sydney, because um, my family was there and my twin sister was standing in the stands as we walked onto the start line. And I looked up and I saw her crying, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" I started crying. uh Oh. <laughs> this emotional experience. I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" It's the biggest race I'm ever going to do in my entire life, and I'm crying. <laughs> and I think you know, just having that experience, and I always just tell Katie, it's like, look, if I'm not thinking it or haven't thought it or haven't been through it, it's probably never going to happen because I've been in the sport for so long. So. Right. Yeah, it was one of those things where, you know, it's just giving back, you know, giving somebody else an opportunity to to do something that, that you know, most people don't get to do and that's to compete at the Olympics.
0: Which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, very few people get to do that. So that's amazing and that you, you know, were able to do that. And oh, you've just done so many wonderful things. What are your goals now for the next couple of years? And do you plan out that far for your goals?
2: Oh yeah, like um, as a coach, um, I actually have I've got a couple of para athletes that I coach. So last year I coached um, Sarah Reinerson, and she finished the Hawaiian Ironman, and she went faster than she did ten years before. So that was pretty exciting. Wow, that's cool. To think that she was faster in her forties than she was in her thirties. Wow. And then I have a bilateral marathon guy that I coach, and he just broke the world record. Wow. Uh, for the outright bilateral marathon record, so you know it's pretty exciting when you see an athlete, you know, do so well because you know they're dedicated and putting the program. And I'm also coaching a para athlete that's trying to make the uh, Tokyo team.
1: Wow! Wow! Next
2: year, so that's so you know, cool. in terms of that, I've always got you know, and all my other athletes that I have, um, you know, they have so many great things so that that are coming up as well. And then for me as an individual, you know, um, hopefully I get to race the world championships this year in, in Switzerland as an age grouper. And then, you know, as a horse rider, you know, I have a bunch of goals. So I'm trying to get my horse up to pre St George within mm-hmm. the next 12 months. So <clears throat> I've never ridden Priest St George. Actually, up until this year, I'd never ridden past second level. So, wow. you know, just... Little things like that, you know. There's always little things that you can
0: achieve. Little things like that—that's huge. Running. Just that there is <laughs> focus their whole lives on just getting up to the next level uh, in dressage. So that's amazing that you're able to do. And I have noticed. Well, yeah. Well, you know, up will. until this,
2: point, <laughs> I, you know, up until this point, you know, I grew up horse riding, and I gave up triathlon. I gave up horse riding to do triathlon. So then I sort of started riding. Um, I had a couple of Morgans that I did um, some showing with them, Hunt, and Weston. And then I'd, my sister, my twin sister who rides dressage, kept telling me, you need to get a dressage horse. You need to get a dressage horse. And I did some dressage with my Morgans and I actually loved it. And then I bought the horse that I have now. And, you know, the goal is to, to get up to that FEI level and... So far, so good.
0: We're so moving forward. Cool. We've been working on our tempi changes. So, Yay. yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's so yeah. cool. That's so cool. <laughs> what do you think the horses have brought to you that you've actually brought to your coaching of, of all your uh, triathletes? How do you think they've helped well, you?
2: Well, I always love it when my friends have these awesome perspectives because I had one of my friends who knows a triathlete and also rides. And she goes, Makili, I think one of the reasons why you had a good tr- transition from being a professional athlete to a regular person, because you know there is a big change, is because of the horses. Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm.
2: Because I had something, and you know I still do triathlon, but you know a lot of professionals struggle giving up who they are because it is like how you're treated as a professional athlete is different to how you're treated as, you know, a regular person. And, and I think for me. I sort of transitioned into that horse relationship that, like, it's just humbling mm-hmm. and it's it's not just about you anymore. You know, no. triathlon is very much different in the individual sport, even though you have a whole team around you, you know, mechanics, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, transitioning into a sport where, you know what, Sometimes you're going to let the horse down. Sometimes the horse is going to let you down, but yes. that's okay. So I think yes. having something else to do besides the swim, biking, and running, I think for me, my friends, like, you know, often so many athletes struggle and you seem to like, you know, I mean, not that I don't struggle, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, but I've always been really good at, okay, you know what, Notice I'm not going to be as good as I used to be. I'm going to set new goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's how the motivation you know stays and I think that's and triathlon's very humbling anyway yes but you know then you get into the horse world and you know that relationship that you build and it is humbling as well it's like another humbling sport but it's definitely a lot more team work and one of my friends who does para triathlon, she actually used to do para uh, dressage and she was very good at it and she was at a big competition And her horse got sick and she didn't like the feeling of something else letting her down. She would rather have her own control of her destiny. So that's how she switched across to triathlon. The equestrian um, high performance manager saw her swimming one day and said, you know what, maybe she'd try triathlon. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, you just never know, you know, what, circumstances are going to lead you into something that maybe you never thought of and and I never thought I was going to be guiding an athlete at the Olympics and the Paralympics yeah Yeah. you know and that's sort of how I felt like my whole career sort of been because I swore that I would never ever do an Man. I thought it was the cray cray. Uh, I, I kind of <laughs> think it's a little cray cray. I'm just gonna be totally
0: straight of honest with you. I just,
2: I think it's, no, a I long still long think I feel, yeah, yeah. Hey, it is. I mean, <laughs> but you know, it, if you're motivated in your training, and you know, there's a progression, blah, 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 you know, it's it's achievable. Yes. You know, if you're willing to put the work in and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you, you know, you, you have a, a coachable athlete that you're working with because that's so important yes but yeah yes. i still think it's crazy it's like i get asked every year hey makila you want to come back and do kona <laughs> and i'm like no that means i couldn't ride my horse as much <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i think that the
0: horses give um me a perspective and they give me the the humility involved with horses is so huge you have to put your ego to the side because there's no other way to work. It is definitely a 50, 50 sport. And yes, you can let them down. They can let you down. But at the same time, the heights are amazing when you think something and they do it. It's just that feeling of, wow, this is so great. We're in sync together. You
2: know, it's just that, it's amazing, <laughs> exactly. Feeling, right. Yeah, no, exactly. Like today we were, you know, working on our, our tempi changes and, it's like, yay, starting to get them. Now I have to learn the counts. Yay, it's <laughs> happening, it's happening. What? what you yeah, your... And then, the, and then there's, and then there's some days where it's like, all right, I should give up. Yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the same in any sport, right? Like, even like you know, you have the good days and the bad days, and it's like, if you had good days all the time, you wouldn't appreciate. I mean, it, you wouldn't just appreciate it. So you've got to have had those bad days to really appreciate it as 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 much as they are frustrating you know as a professional athlete and even a regular athlete you know getting sick or injured it's like oh my goodness I don't want any of that to happen but you know it, it teaches you a lot about yourself and it, it's it's just one of those things where it's like you know if you win all the time you never learn anything but if you actually have to struggle and you know with disappointment, and you know, something happens, and it's like it didn't go according to plan. You know, you can sort of figure it out, but if you're winning all the time, you just What's there to figure out?
0: Yeah, that's true. I never thought of it that way. And also, the horses teach us so many things, and you know, with their humility and the way they are, and sometimes. I, they have good days and you don't and vice versa. And I have had many days where I'll go in and, you know, you get all ready to go. And then all of a sudden you realize something's off and it it could be physical and they have just down days like we do. Right. They have days where they're not on fire and I'll just, you know, let's just, uh, let's just do a little something fun today. You know, no pressure.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things that we do on a regular basis is we trail ride. Yes. Like, yeah, my horse gets trial at least once or twice a week. And that's for the uh, mind, and, right? And, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. And it's good for my mind.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. because I mean, all, like, We can't all just be like serious all the time. I mean, you gotta have some fun and lighten up a little bit and, and go out and look at trees
2: and have a good time, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing that I really like about my trainer, Matt Cunningham is we, we've we've worked out the plan. We know where we're headed. And if we do something well, we're we're done.
1: It's not like
2: we're going to keep trying and trying. It's like, and it's great because sometimes the lessons only like 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) And, you know, sometimes they're a little, little longer, but it's like, you know, willing to go, you know what? We don't need to do one more. Yes. You know, and I, and I, and you know, I see that a lot in triathlon in like before a major race, I'll see these athletes going out and they've, Totally like screwed themselves because they've just gone too hard mm-hmm. for training and then they've got nothing left for the race. And you know, I see the same thing at competitions where you'll see people warming their horse up, warming their horse up, warming their horse up. I'm going, Are you warming your horse up or are you warming yourself up? Yes. Because yes. maybe you should like have a little plan of how you need to warm up uh, a little bit that's not with the horse, whether that's some mental preparation, whether that's um, some functional stuff that you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's getting bigger and bigger in the equestrian world that, you know, that that you have um, some people out there that are looking at how you sit on a horse and then giving you some functional exercises to, to fix that. And I think that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and yeah, i help so with I the think, mindset you
0: know, of that that the mindset's huge right i mean you've got to be yeah. in your flow state and be calm but not aggressive and be ready and expectant and it's just you're in that state where you're ready but you're you're not aggressive but that's a that's a mind thing too mindset as well as body it's putting yourself in that mind body spirit
2: alignment i guess i would yeah. call yeah and, and and definitely that's one thing that i struggle with when I ride my horse, because I'm so used to like turning the muscle on. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And when I
2: get on the horse, I've got to turn the muscle off. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because sense. especially in dressage, it's like, you know, you've got to be uh, relaxing the lower leg. And I'm so used to like, Hey, if I want more power, I want to go faster. It's like, I got to power up. I got to turn the muscle on. And then in dressage, I am like, turn the muscle off. <laughs> yes. And the way the the way that I sit, is very different when I'm sitting on my bike compared to when you're sitting on 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 your horse the way that your pelvic tilt is is so different and it's like I'm so ingrained in swim biking and running and I think that's my frustration that I have because I understand it but then you've got it it takes like a thousand times to do it correctly before you can change anything so it can be you know I think when you sort of like have a good instinct on what it what you're trying to achieve, but you can't quite achieve it. I mean, it's frustrating for everyone. Yes. But it's sometimes, you know, people don't, they can't connect. It takes them a lot longer to connect to the dot. Right. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And I, I've, you know, I've had my own frustrations um, myself, even, even though I'm not competitive um, you know, doing running or anything like that, but just, it's definitely frustrating when you want to go somewhere and you know where you want to go and you have a plan, but yet things aren't really clicking and you're trying to get an alignment, yeah. but and, you know, it's sometimes... I, I call scared. that
2: character building.
0: You call it what?
2: Character building.
0: Character building. There you go. There you go.
2: Yeah, because you've got to go back, you know, you've really got to like, okay, is this really what I want to do? How yes. do I change this? You've really, there's a thought process to like, and, you know, if you don't have that thought process, you can't move forward. Right. It's sort of sometimes, you know, it, and, and dressage to me is like learning mathematics, like as a kid, right? If you don't get the concepts, you can't move forward, right? Yes. So dress are just sort of the same because if you don't get the fundamentals, you're never going to be able to do this, this, or this. Right. And it's like, you know, mathematics is just the same for a little kid trying to learn math. It's like if they don't understand this one concept, they're never going to, like, doesn't matter how much you explain it or what, they'll never get it.
0: Right. Because it all builds on the framework that you've created, right? Yeah. What what are your thoughts? I'd love to know. And I know we're, we're getting almost out of time, but I'd love to know what your thoughts are on um, aging. And women now <laughs> especially are coming back into this midlife, you know, 40s, 50s. Like this is a second act for a lot of us. We're actually blooming and blossoming versus shutting down as they did, you know, 30 years ago, which is amazing. I love it. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, women especially, getting a little bit older and still having goals and and trying to achieve what they want to.
2: Well, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of months, so I'm totally there. Sweet. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it's like, you know, for me, it's like, I see some of my older friends and I'm like, oh, it's been good that they're doing all this fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, dude, if they can keep doing it, I can do it. So having good role models, doesn't matter where you are in your life is so important, but it's like, Yeah. We, you know, we have a greater understanding of how the body works and, and because there's role models out there, it's like, it's like anything. It's like when they were trying to achieve the four minute mile for running, nobody could achieve it until one person did. And then everyone could. Yes. So if you don't see, you know, I have a couple of awesome friends that are like in their uh, seventies who still ride and ride at the FEI level. And I'm like, that is so awesome. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I love yeah, and
2: that. and that's and that's one. And I think that's one thing that I like about horse riding because definitely there's a little longevity than triathlon. Although triathlon, there are people who are well in their eighties that know. still do it. I know. I mean, if you if you look at Sister Madonna, she's if anybody should Google her, she's done the Iron Man so many times, and she's a great lady. I've met her a couple of times, and she's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh and yet you I mean that's what it is it's like you know it's like age is just a number yes and yeah some days I'm going to feel a little older and Some days I'm going to feel a little younger. but it's like I always have had this belief if you don't use it you lose it me too so it's yeah. like you just <laughs> some days are going to be tougher than others and you know as we get older we deal with you know different medical issues and you know, it's like ways to navigate around them and, you know, sometimes something's taken away but maybe that's opening a door to something else. So that's Absolutely. the way I've sort of viewed stuff. So in terms of ageing, it's like, you know, you've just got to keep passionate about something. I think that's the most important thing. It's like find what drives you, find what you're passionate about and, you know, it's not always easy. There's always bumps and mountains know, in the way but... <laughs> you know that's part of life is you know living life to the fullest and and trying to do what you can do with with the time that you're given
0: yes and i think that you know what you said is so important i have seen people in their 70s and 80s doing the triathletes. So it's possible. And I think being passionate about something is really, really important. And I think also being open and curious, I felt, feel the same way you did do that. It's just, you have to keep learning, right? You have to be curious because yeah. otherwise I feel like you're stagnant and then you'll be, you're either learning or you're not, you're either moving forward or you're not. So by I think riding, it-, it keeps you, keeps you interested and it's open and you're always learning something yeah. new
2: right and you know as you get older the one thing you want, don't want to do <laughs> is hate changing it up right it's yes. like we get set in our ways and we're like oh yeah this is good this. but sometimes you know putting yourself out there <laughs> is important as well yeah yeah, no, yeah especially as we get a little bit older because you know we do like you know I'm gonna try that blah blah, blah. it's like yeah. but it's like if you are willing to at least try something it's like what do you got to lose
0: right right and I think just having that passion and being open to it is huge and the wonderful thing about riding is that people are doing it you know there's there's really no age where you have to stop I mean you can always have a younger horse and actually it goes in your favor because the more experience you have the better off you are so (laughs) just as in your sport as well so well, I can't no, thank you exactly. enough for I being mean, here. This yeah. has been awesome. I I am so thrilled to have spoken with you today and I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online, Keely?
2: Okay. So I have a website. Um, it's of course it's, it's horse name, uh, giddyupmultisport.com.
0: Love it. Love it. <laughs> um,
2: and Facebook. Yeah. You can find me, um, on Facebook or uh, Twitter or Instagram by my first and last name. So, yeah, and you know, if anyone's ever got any question they want to ask, I'm more than happy to. Uh, if I have an answer, I will let you know. And if I don't, I'll try to research it for you. But I think the bottom line is, you know, life is too short not to enjoy it. And Never be afraid to try something that, you know, you maybe thought was impossible. I mean, otherwise I never would have been an Olympic medalist or done the Ironman or been given the opportunity to guide a sight-impaired athlete.
0: It's Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. We are going to have all the links listed below so that you can find McKeeley online and on her social media as well. And I encourage you to check her out because she's got some amazing, I mean, she's just got, she's done so much and she's got so much more to do. So definitely keep an eye out for her. Um, but thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I so thrilled to talk with you and you've really inspired me to get going on my physical fitness.
2: <laughs> I love it. Because, so, you know, if without physical fitness, you'll never be able to ride to the best of your ability.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. And that's really, really important. And not a lot of people talk about that. That's super important. I mean, if we expect them to be an athlete, then we should at least give them the same courtesy. And we need to be in shape as well for the best ride that we can have. Exactly. I love it. Thank you so much, Matilda. I love talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank
1: you.